<laughs> if you want to clap, you can clap. I don't know why you're so hesitant to do that. This is a good thing. Sometimes look up in the Bible how often they clapped for the Lord. It, it is there. Um, I, I just have this thought in my head right now. It has stuck with me since I was, I don't know, like third or fourth grade. I was playing Little League Baseball, of all things. And I wasn't very good. Um, and I was scared of getting hit by pitches and, you know, just all the little kid stuff. And I don't know what my dad was thinking, but I knew his intent. And he pulled me aside and said, Carl, you are the son of a Marine. And I thought, big freaking deal. I still don't want to get hit by a ball. <laughs> but but I, what I understand he was saying was, remember the stock from which you come. You, you know what I'm saying? As I, as I coach high school football, I tell my JV team all the time, I say, you guys need to understand something. You're stepping into a program that's got some history to it. The, the, the teams who have come before you have been champions, some of them undefeated. They've played with injury. They play, played through pain and, and, and blood. And, like, you need to understand the stock from which you come. Does it make sense? You understand what I'm saying? As we look at the book of Acts, we need to understand the stock from which we come. If we call ourselves Christians, we need to understand what our heritage is, what our history is, so that we can repeat it. This is, dare I say, the expectation. This is the standard. This is the plumb line. This is the challenge. What we see in the book of Acts is we begin to see a shift in how the culture treats and responds to these Christians, these first Christians, and to the church. And what we see in the book of Acts is, is the priority and the preeminence that they placed on the kingdom of God above all other things. It's been said that difficulty does not build character. Difficulty simply reveals character. That's the truth. Someone told me once, they said, Carl, people are like tea bags. You never find out what's in them until you drop them in hot water. And so we're going to see the character of these first disciples. And we're going to see what they're made of because they're going to face incredible difficulty and be placed in hot water. Up to this point, we're going to be able to see how they chose to respond. And, and we'll see this throughout the book of Acts. When difficulties in hot water hit. And we're going to use that as a mirror for us. Do we respond in anger or do we see the difficulties as an opportunity? Do we respond with doubt or do we actually become people of faith? Do we view ourselves as a victim or do we see ourselves as a bold witness? Up until this point in Acts chapter 5, we're, we're only in the first year or two of the, of the church. It's really new. In the chapters that come and in the, in the following few weeks, we're going to go through the first five or six years or so of church history. Last week, we 
we introduced ourselves to the account in Acts chapter 5, and I left the majority of it for today. There's a lot of verses still to cover in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to hit some of them pretty hard, and others I'm, I'm going to give a synopsis to, and some I'll just leave for you to read. But if you have a Bible and brought one with you or on your smart device, if you'll find Acts chapter 5, go to the middle Bible and take a right. About halfway through the remaining is Acts chapter is a book of Acts. In my Bible, Acts chapter 5 comes immediately after Acts chapter 4, just before Acts 6, if that helps you out at all. Starting at verse 17, they arrested the apostles, they being the chief priests and the ruling religious body. We talked about them last week, the Sanhedrin and the temple guard. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Part of me, just in my humanity as I'm reading this passage, I've got to think that if it were me, and I'm doing what I, I believe God said to do, and I'm being faithful, and I'm being obedient, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, why in the world am I ended up in jail? Have you ever had those moments where you think, look, I'm doing what the Bible says to do. Why does it feel like stuff's falling apart? Anybody? I hear what the ball guy says on Sunday about what the Bible says. I'm trying to listen to him and do what he says, but it, it ain't panning out. I got to think that at some point, these guys are like, look, we're, we're one, we're two years in, and this is still happening. This Jesus thing, I don't know. Let me tell you this, that if what you're seeking for with this Jesus thing is ease and success and pleasure, it may not be working out. But if what you're seeking is the kingdom of God, it always works out because it is unstoppable. They're in jail. They're in jail. And the Bible says an angel comes and opens the door for them. Now, I want to talk about a couple things. One, the role of angels. And two, what they're told to do. Let's start with angels. It is no difficult thing for God to dispatch angels to come to the aid of his people. Angels move at the command of the Father, at the command of the Son. They take no orders from anybody other than the Father, other than the Son. What we know in Hebrews 1.14 is the truth about angels, and the Bible says this, you can look it up for yourselves, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to aid those, to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels' job and responsibility is to be sent to aid and help those of us who are Christ followers, disciples. That's their job. So if that's their job, if their job is to help you as a Christ follower, the question we have to ask is how do we get them to do their job, right? Because how many of us would love to have an angel at our beck and call? Do you know how you get an angel to, to be dispatched to you? 
It ain't through praying. They don't respond to you. Uh, and, and they're not sent to you just because you ask God to send one. You want to know how you, how you get an angel dispatched to you? I mean, if you don't, I won't tell you. It's all right. I mean, I already know, so I'm good. Luke 12, 8 tells us. Luke 12, 8 says this. Jesus says, If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the angels of heaven. Until the disciple of Jesus acknowledges Jesus before men, we will not be acknowledged before the Father, before the angels in heaven. And the only way angels are dispatched to the disciples' aid is to be acknowledged in heaven by the Son that says, go now. So here's how it looks. We're on earth, and we have need, and we know that the only one who can help is God. The only, the only hope we have is for God to dispatch his angels. And we cry out, God, please. God, I need you. God, now. God, move. And there are angels at heaven's edge right now saying, just cut me loose. I'll go take care of it. I have what they need. Just give me the word. And Jesus says, stand down. I have given them time after time after time to acknowledge me before people, before their huddle, before their family, before their co-workers, and they remain silent. Stand down. Do you realize that? What had these disciples just been doing? Before they got thrown in jail, what had they been doing? Acknowledging the risen Savior to people. Right? This is what they were doing. This is what got them in trouble. They're acknowledging the risen Savior before people. And they get thrown in jail, and now they need God's miraculous intervention. And so what does God do? Miraculously intervenes. Why? Not because they're, I'll tell you why, because what Luke 12 says, because they were acknowledging the Son before men. So God doesn't have a problem dispatching angels to their aid. Because that's what angels are supposed to do for the people who acknowledge the Son before men. You follow me? And so this, they are bold witnesses. They are in need. God dispatches an angel and he delivers them. But here's what we have to understand. When God chooses to deliver and intervene, the purpose of God's intervention is for your deployment. The purpose of God's intervention is not for our pleasure. It is not for our own rescue. It is not for our advancement. The purpose of God's intervention is for our deployment. What did the angel do? I'm setting you free. Then what did he tell them? Go back to the temple courts and be a bolder witness for me. Go back into the hornet's nest. They were arrested because of what they were doing. They're liberated by the intervention of an angel so that they can be deployed to go do what it was that got them in trouble in the first place. Are you understanding the nature of the kingdom of God?
sometimes God delivers by miracle, and we pray for it, and we expect it, and we desire it, and we count on it and rely on it, right? Right? If you don't, you should. And sometimes he delivers by miracle, and sometimes he does not. This time he did. But consider the disciples and the apostles. Mark was dragged through the city and killed because of his bold witness. Luke was hanged because of his bold witness. Peter was crucified because of his bold witness. James was beheaded because of his bold witness. James the younger was beaten with clubs till he was dead because of his bold witness. Peter or Philip was hanged because of his bold witness. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten to death because of his bold witness. Andrew was crucified because of his bold witness. Thomas was killed with his spear because of his bold witness. Jude was shot with arrows until he was dead because of his bold witness. Matthias and Barnabas were stoned and then beheaded because of their bold witness. Paul was beheaded in Rome because of their bold witness. This is your heritage. This is our stock from which we come. They were unstoppable. And the reason I said it is dangerous for a study of the book of Acts because it makes us come to terms with the fact that we are very stoppable. We don't like it when our schedules get interrupted. We don't like to choose between doing that on a Sunday morning or this on a Sunday morning. They were freed at night. And do you remember what the angel told them to do? Go to the temple and witness. When did they do that? At daybreak. They were freed at night. And the moment the sun rose... There was no delay. There was no detour. Why? Because they were unstoppable. And all this is is a fulfillment of their prayer. Just in the previous chapter, in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, it says they had been, they had been arrested, they had been threatened, and they're released and warned it's going to get worse if you keep doing this. And their prayer, just prior to this, is now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That was their prayer. God, it may get bad, but enable us to have a bold witness. And when we have a bold witness, stretch out your hand with signs and miracles on our behalf. And what happened? They had a bold witness, and they were thrown in jail. And what did God do? Stretch out his hand in a miracle and a sign of an angelic deliverance. Because they had a bold witness. Look at what happens. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. And sent to the jail for the apostles. They didn't realize that they weren't there. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened the doors, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Another translation says they were puzzled 
at what would come of this. Here's what they knew. They knew that there was some supernatural unseen thing at work in these guys' lives. It was undeniable. And I just wonder how many people who circle around our lives who never wonder that about us. When everything is just so normal and ordinary to the rest of the culture. There's, there's no hint of a supernatural behind us. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Let that, the captain went with the officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they, were, they, because they feared that the people would stone them. They had been threatened multiple times. They had been jailed. And they just simply relaxed and let God do whatever God wanted to do for the advance of his kingdom. There's no stress or no fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God, just like that song we sang. And they just let what God wanted to do, what his desire was for the advancement of his kingdom. Here, 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 I was thinking about this this week, and I, and I thought, this is how I can say this. Don't let the circumstances around you shrink you. They didn't shrink back. They didn't take their foot off the pedal. They didn't cower. They didn't make excuses. Don't let the circumstances around you shrink you. If you're a disciple to Jesus, don't shrink. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I love the fact that what he says is you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Another translation says doctrine. You have filled this community with your teaching about this risen Jesus. What a great statement. You have filled this community with your teaching and your doctrine about the risen Jesus. You have filled your community with this teaching about the risen Lord. You have filled your huddle with your teaching and your understanding about the risen Jesus. You have filled. That's a statement I want said of me. I want it to be said of me when you put me in the ground. That he filled his community, he filled his church, he filled his huddle, he filled his family with the teaching and the doctrine of the risen Jesus. I want that to be said of our church. We're 18 years in. And I want it to be said that Flipside has filled the ranchos with their teaching of the risen Jesus. I want it to be said that Flipside has filled the valley with their teaching of the risen Jesus. I want it to be said that Flipside has filled everywhere it's gone with the teaching of the risen Jesus. What better thing to be said? But it begs a question. Up to this point, 
What teaching have I filled my family with? Has it been more about my political agenda, my political party, than it has been about the risen Lord? Has it been more about my children's own potential than it has been about the power of the resurrection? It begs the question, what have I filled, what teaching and doctrine by default have I filled my huddle with? By default, what does it say about my teaching and doctrine that I live by with what I filled my social media with? Do you understand how dangerous it is to study the Bible? I love the fact that they said, you're you're focused on making us guilty of this man's blood. They don't even want to name him. They don't want to say his name. He's this man. Say his name. Right? How many times have we heard that before? Say the name. Jesus. The the crazy thing is, is, is this is exactly what they asked for. Way back in Matthew 27. When when Jesus was on the cusp of being released and not having to go to the cross, they urged him, Matthew 27, 25, all the people answered, Let his blood be on us and our children. They're getting exactly what they asked for. You want to be guilty of Jesus' blood? Fine, you are. Look at Peter's response. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter's response is not an argument. Peter's response is, 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 not, is not a refutation of who they are. Peter's response is simply a recounting of all that Jesus is and all that God has done. That's all it is. He, he starts with their sin and their guilt. You killed him. And the same could be said of us. The only reason Jesus went to the cross was because of my sin and your sin. We're responsible Peter would say to us, you killed him. By hanging him on a cross, this is the testimony that Jesus was the prophesied one who would hang on a tree and absorb the shame. He died. And Peter says, whom God raised from the dead, the truth of the resurrection that all of Christianity is built on. And Peter says, whom God exalted In other words, he's asserting again Christ's rule and reign over all things, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. God has exalted him. Why? For repentance and forgiveness of sin. He's calling us to our responsibility because of our sin, because of Jesus' death, in response to the resurrection, that we would respond and seek forgiveness. There's no other thing one needs to do except pronounce and understand the message of Jesus. For all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. 
The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. That anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That I stand at the door and knock and anybody who opens the door and invites me and I will come in to him and heat with me. It's a real simple message. And it's the only thing that needs to be proclaimed. And Peter does. The apostles do. And it is, sometimes just read through Peter's whole speech there from verses 33 through 40. But, but look at verse 40. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. That word flogged means literally skinned. It's the 39 lashes that Jesus went through at his, before his crucifixion. It's the same whipping. It's the same beating. The difference is this was done at the hands of Jews, which had a law, 39 and no more. Romans had no such law. So, so though Jesus's was more severe, this is the same flogging that Jesus suffered. The 39 lashes, skinned. I don't know if you realize that. This wasn't a slap on a wrist. And this is the expectation of the followers of Jesus. Romans 8, 17, you need to know this, says that disciples share in the sufferings of Jesus. And they did. And they understood it. That this is part of what it meant. See, suffering for our faith as Christians has always been a part of biblical discipleship. And suffering for our faith as disciples has always been a part of historical Christianity. And suffering for our faith as disciples is foreign to our Christian experience and expectation, right? We have become so stoppable that we have relied on the government to make it easy for us to be disciples. We want them to protect our rights. We want the government to set up a godly kingdom. And we become so stoppable, we have deferred our discipleship to the protection from our government. Which I don't need to tell you is very unbiblical and has become very stoppable. Look at their response. They've been warned, they've been jailed, now they've been flogged. Just, let's pretend we're being real authentic right now. What would your response be? I know what mine would be. And I know what my response would be if this happened to my sons. 
the apostles left the Sanhedrin, what? <laughs> These guys are nuts. Rejoicing because they have been what? Counted worthy of what? Suffering what? Disgrace for whom? Wow. Unstoppable. This is the stock from which we come. This is the expectation. This is the standard. Biblically, suffering for the name of Christ is a sign of worth. They rejoiced because they had been counted, what's that word? Of suffering for the name. To run from suffering for the name of Christ is to devalue your faith. They counted worthy of suffering disgrace. That word disgrace means contempt and insult. I guarantee you that this culture in which we live will have contempt for disciples who are bold about their faith in Jesus. This culture will have contempt for those who are bold about their faith. They'll try to silence you. They'll try to cancel you. They'll try to shut you down. They'll try to shame you. They will hold you in contempt. And dare I say this, if this culture does not have contempt for your faith, you're probably doing your witness wrong. Look at these guys. Look at these gals. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They never stopped. You know what that made them? <sighs> Unstoppable. When it says they never stopped, it literally means they, they were not restrained. It means they never took their foot off the pedal. They never backed away. They didn't miss opportunities. Whatever they suffered was not going to deter them for an instant. They were bold. Just think for a moment. What are the things that we are bold about? This room is full of very bold people. You are. You're very bold. I'm very bold. But just, let's just consider the things that we're bold about. What are those things that absorb our conversations with each other and fill our media streams? That's what we're bold about. We're very bold about our political position. We're very bold about how we feel about the pandemic 2.0. We're very bold about the fan base of our favorite teams who won in double overtime last night. We're very bold. We're very bold about the rights that I feel entitled to and they better not try to take them away from me this time. We're very bold about many things. We're very bold about the concerts we've attended. We're very bold 
about the diets we're on. We're very bold about the steps we take every day. We're very bold about the coffee we drink. We're very bold about a lot of things. And yet very cowardly about our public witness. Charles Spurgeon, in talking about this passage, said this, it's shameful how bold we are about everything else and how cowardly we are about Jesus. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers that God ever graced this earth with, and he had a way of saying things. He also said this, live boldly for him who died lovingly for you. Now, let me take my foot off the pedal for a moment and tell you one of the reasons why I get so amped up about this. Because though I am not unstoppable, Jesus' love for me is. Though I am stopped easily, as are you, God's love for me remains unstoppable. Everybody else in this world judges me, you included, by my performance. God does not. His love for me and acceptance of me is unstoppable. In the midst of my failure, in the midst of my disgrace, in the midst of my shame, in the midst of my sin, Because I have asked him to lead my life in the midst of my failure, his love for me remains unstoppable. And even though I don't get it right very often, God continues to lavish his mercy and his grace and his favor on me because those things are meant to draw me to him more fully. And I'm so thankful for this Jesus who died for me while I rejected him who didn't wait for me to love him like I should, who doesn't all, who knows I'm not going to be unstoppable all the time, who continues to pour out his mercy and his grace on a broken, failing man like me. And it makes me, when I realize that, fall more in love with this unstoppable God. It's something the disciples understood. And it drove them to this unstoppable faith and this unwavering commitment to the unstoppable kingdom. And it has become my model. I may not get it right very often, but God's love for me is unstoppable even when I don't. And the same is true for you. Do you understand that? He doesn't gauge us or respond to us based on our performance though everybody else may. And what I desire, what God desires, is the realization of that mercy and grace for a group of people who are very stoppable is so profoundly for us that all he wants for us is to realize his mercy and his grace for us, even in our failure, to draw us more fully into this love relationship with him and commitment to his kingdom. It's beautiful. And it is a beautiful relationship that exists. His love for us, our response to him, even in failure, that he continues to love us and we continue to respond even in failure. 
so that will we overcome with the realization of his mercy and his grace for his kids. And that will cause us to love him more to where our hearts will fall so in love with him. We will cry out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me boldness that I may go back into the hornet's nest to be a bold witness. Whatever will be, will be. This is the stock from which we come. This is our standard. This is our expectation. And we sit here today because there was a group of men and women 2,000 years ago who became so overwhelmingly in love with the truth of the resurrection and this God who loved them and the experience of mercy and grace for failing people like them. They gave themselves unstoppable wavering, unwavering commitment to the kingdom of God in the world. And so here we sit with the opportunity to do the same. And God's unstoppable church is filled with unstoppable disciples. You ready? You know, I hope some of you, I, 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 my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit cuts some of you to the core. Just cut you to the core. Because you do know the Lord. You do know better. And some of you have been very bold about a lot of things. But it hadn't been the kingdom of God. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit cuts us to the core, not for our shame or for our disgrace, but for our repentance. Because in repentance comes the grace of God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And I want you to walk into the favor of God through the doorway of repentance and become unstoppable. I want you to pray with me. Father, I thank you that your love for us is unstoppable. We need to establish that right from the start here. That your love for us is unstoppable. That before we ever gave you a thought, we were on your mind. You knit us together. You put us together. You ordained every day of our lives. You've always had your eye on us. And I thank you for that. Thank you that you don't judge us by our performance. That your love for us goes far beyond that. I pray you help us realize, though, that we need to receive that and not live in obstinance of it. God, there are some of us here for whom you are speaking. Holy Spirit, you are cutting some of us to the core. Some of us are realizing that we've been bold and fanatical about a lot of stuff that has not been your kingdom. And while we may be a fan of you, Jesus, we've not been fanatical 
and that when you've told us to love the Lord our God with our whole heart and all of our soul and mind and strength, That's a profound call. For some of us, we want to repent. We want to come back to a bold commitment to a life of discipleship and the priority of your kingdom. So hear our prayers, God. If that's you, I invite you in this moment just simply to say, God, I'm sorry. I have been fanatical and bold about a lot of things. But it has not been your rule and reign in my life, and it has not been your kingdom. Forgive me of my lethargy, my complacency, my nominality, my apathy. I choose today to be bold. And I ask you to make me unstoppable. Father, I call on you in the truth of your word that says your eyes range to and fro about the earth looking for those whose hearts are completely yours that you might strongly support them. You've got some of those here, God. God, what you're looking for, you've got some under this roof right now. You've got some of those listening to my voice right now. You've got some whose hearts are fully yours who are coming back in committed, unstoppable obedience to discipleship. You've got some of us, God. Turn your heart towards us as ours is turned towards you. Dispatch your angels. Deploy us for your kingdom's sake. That we would see your hand at work. Not for our pleasure, not for our ease, but for your kingdom's sake. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done on this earth as it is in heaven. In our place, in our midst, in our huddle, in our community. May you increase and we decrease. God, you've got some hearts here who are firmly yours. You don't have to look further. We're right here. Turn your hand in strong support of the advancement of your kingdom through this church. We are yours. In your name I pray. Amen. And now listen. I love you, but that doesn't matter. The thing that matters is that God loves you. And his love for you is so profound and so unstoppable. I want you to understand that. I really want you to understand that. He is madly head over heels in love with you. Regardless of anything you do, anything you've done, or anything you're going to do, his love for you is unchanging. And it's worth giving yourself to. Just submitting to I want to give you homework. I want you to read Acts chapter 6. You're going to be introduced to a man named Stephen who was just some ordinary schmuck and the church needed some just regular menial stuff done in the church and he started serving in real ordinary ways and God took this ordinary man who served in incredibly ordinary ways and did incredible things through that launched the church into the world. It was It's amazing. It's just amazing. And so I invite you to jump in. Here's the thing. I invite you to jump into this. Day after day after day. Jump into this. 
God is speaking and revealing so much of his kingdom, of him, and for us in here. You cannot be in this enough. I cannot spend enough time in this. So wherever you are, take your next step of a little bit more. No time in this is ever wasted. This week, be in Acts 6. And just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you something about God and something about you because he will. I said this first service. I'll say it this time. i got to stop talking. Let's sing.